This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show, where each week we discuss best practices in the field of customer experience management. I'm Tom DeWitt, Director of CXM at MSU, and I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Bob Keipel, Vice President of CX of M and retired Global CX Executive with General Motors. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show. I'm Tom DeWitt, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Bob Keipel. Great to see you, Bob. Good to be here. As always. And uh, we're really excited to welcome Lisa Schmidt, the founder and CEO from WorkSphere on the show. Uh, Lisa is a professional coach, speaker, and facilitator of cultural transformation. Uh, she's based in Canada and helps executives and organizations act with courage in creating the kinds of workplace cultures people long to work in. Welcome to the show, Lisa. It is great to be here with you both. I'm humbled as well. You, the both of you have so much experience and you've brought in so many great guests. They were quite experts in their field. So I, I feel I'm in both in good company and humbled by uh, my peers. Well, welcome. We are glad to have you here, Lisa. And I am excited about this topic of culture. Um, but just to get us started off, can you tell me more about the work you're doing now in the culture transformation world? Yeah, sure thing, Bob. So most of the work I do falls in two categories. So one is I work as a strategic partner and I guess you could call it a team coach to change your transformation teams in organizations. I don't know if any if there's an organization out there that hasn't faced change, whether from external factors, technology changes, market changes, or internally. It can be something as simple as a new CEO coming in, which in the end is not that simple at all. So I help these teams uh, who are involved in change processes create the internal culture that supports the strategy. So often organizations know what they want to do, but they don't think thoroughly about how they want to do it. And I don't mean that in the this step after this step, I mean how they wanna show up as leaders and as, uh, as team members. The other part of my work is really one-on-one -on -one to address with leaders and kind of falls out of what I, I just described, um, the approaches and the mindsets they have that need to shift in order for them to lead change. So a common mistake that leaders make is to think that change is out there, right? It's a tick the box, Gantt chart, you know, we do this, we do that, and, and change comes out at the end of it. And they treat it like a project or a series of events rather than a process of engaging people to think and feel differently so they can act and behave in ways that lead to different outcomes. So in simpler terms, I figure, uh, I help leaders and organizations figure out who they want to be and from that place, act in ways to bring out the results that they're seeking. Awesome. Well, that, that leads to the next um, question. I, you know, it may sound simple, but I think it's really fundamental. So, how do you define culture in organizational terms, and how are cultures created? So, mm. you know, if I'm a if I'm a CEO, how do you explain to me? Um, you know, we talk about it's funny we talk about culture a lot. What does culture look like in organizational terms? And tell me how 
I create, I create a positive culture. Yeah, that is, uh, that is a, both an excellent question and a, a great question to even ask CEOs because they're not often aware of the fact that they, def they, they fall to a default culture by not in fact investing in defining the culture that they want to have. So, uh, and I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on this as well. So here's uh, the quick and dirty answer, which you might find if you Google what is organizational culture, which I did to confirm that this in fact is said <laughs> in, more, in more quarters than out of my mouth, is culture is the way we do things around here. Okay, that's the short answer. I think of culture, uh, and it's best exemplified by the image of an iceberg. So allow me just very briefly to describe the physics of an iceberg. The density of pure ice is much less than seawater. So when you see an iceberg, you're only seeing one-tenth of the entire iceberg. So if you think of organizational culture, a small chunk is what we see. That's the, how, the way we do things around here. But what's underneath it are the beliefs, the norms, the assumptions, the unwritten rules, the traditions, uh, the values, often unarticulated, uh, and the conditioned ways of thinking about other people who work around you, about hierarchies, and also the inherent value of one position over another. So all of that you don't see, but it really influences the little bit that you do see, which is the behaviors, the rituals, the structures, the policies, the artifacts, the practices. Basically what we see in organizations is the theater. We do not have the script notes about this side coming in that side. We don't design the costumes, although I would argue that business clothes are a form of costuming in organizations. <laughs> um, but the idea here is that what you can't see has the greatest impact on, I would say, customer experience, on employee experience, and on uh, essentially the outcomes that an organization is trying to do. So that's my take uh, on uh, organizational culture. But I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, briefly from either of you, what, you know, does this resonate? Does this, does this, does this ring true? Or do you have other things you would say? Oh, I agree. Totally. Absolutely. I mean, if you have an executive that's running things that says, um, if I have actions and then I get results, and if I get results that I don't like, I do different actions. They're, they are missing out on all the stuff that's beneath the surface. They're missing the attitudes of the employees. Are they happy? Do they feel valued? Are they, are they involved? They're missing all that stuff. But they're in this do loop. They got KPI. They got results. So they're going to try a different trick. And they may be missing something completely. So, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Well, I, Thanks, my Bob. impression of culture has always been acknowledging and supporting the attitudes and behaviors. Um, that you want to see in, in all employees. And then that, you know, that then helps to generate the strategies. Um, first of all, you know, to your point, defining what, what values and beliefs underlie, should underlie um, everything we do as an organization on a daily basis. So, you know, in, in our world, it's what values are consistent with being a customer-centric organization and how is that reflected in um, the attitudes and the behaviors of our employees and then radiating into strategies into well how do we recruit for that um, how do we train for that how do we acknowledge and support that on a daily basis 
Yeah. yeah. And just to go a little bit deeper to use our stay with the iceberg, I guess, <laughs> or go off into the weeds, which is a completely different uh, metaphor or whatever. Um, it may sound like a bit of a dumb question, but just a basic question for you, Lisa, mm -hmm. like, because there's so many aspects of culture. In what ways, or can you give us examples of how organization culture is important to shaping the employee attitudes and the employee's behaviors towards the customer? Because we're talking about CX today. Well, you know, it's it's kind of like anything in life. You, you, you know if something's working or not, essentially by how you feel. And it's no different working in an organization. You get a pretty quick sense when you join an organization. I mean, you're in a courtship period at the front end, right? Like, you know, we, we want you, right? Especially as you're getting down to the two or three candidates at the end. And so there's, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, kind of a lot of peacock feathers that happen from organizations out to potential employees in the recruitment phase. And then you come in and you realize that in fact, that the peacock was maybe, I don't know, a pigeon. <laughs> it flies, <laughs> it's got feathers. Um, and, and that's often a problem that you have in organizations because the attention is paid so much on the recruitment process and not on actually building the culture that is gonna drive the things that you've just described around engagement, around a sense of people feeling that they wanna be there and contribute their work. You know, I, I, I say this often and I, I, I'm a little facetious when I say it, but it's very true. Like we don't hire people. We hire the way that our brains work and our brains are wired for things like belonging. Our brains are wired for a sense of purpose and engagement. And so organizations that pay attention to creating cultures that understand what our brains are hungry for and you know, are happy to receive and in receiving them want to make a contribution is, is there's, there's no real secret sauce to this. I mean, I, the other thing I say is, you know, this isn't rocket science. It's a lot easier than rocket science, but it's also a lot harder because if you don't know what you're doing, you're gonna get it wrong. Wow. Mm -hmm. oh, really, I mean, really, really good, good point. Um, and, you know, and the reality is um, people prefer to work, to work for organizations whose purpose is on serving the customer and, and making the customer happy. Um, the lack of organizations to, to realize that and make that part of their recruiting strategy, part of their onboarding, their training, accountability is, is really a shame. And I don't know if it's because of a fixation on financial goals rather than, you know, you know, because basically you're talking about employee goals, right? What we want to get out of a job and, you know, little things like motivation, what, 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 what motivates people to get out of bed in the morning and, and go to work and understanding that, um, you know, we all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, right? And the better you can articulate that and not just communicate it, but deliver on that on a daily basis um, seems to be lost on, on a lot of leaders. Well, and I would just add, Tom, the research shows that happy employees are more productive and make your company more profitable. Like, why wouldn't you do this? That, that is always the big surprise to me. Why do we accept so many unhealthy uh, and toxic workplaces? Why do we not yeah. ensure that we hire for uh, good relational skills when we're looking for leaders and managers in our company? Like, 
pay people a bit more to get it right. And you will be paid thousandfold at the other end. Like people will want to stay with you. You will not have to, you won't have to give them things to retain them. They will feel good to work for you. hmm. And that to me is, is the most, is the piece that's often just missed. Now, do you think it comes from a lack of understanding of what makes employees happy? I would say that's part of it. But there's a lot of lip service. So I'll I'll give you an example. Most organizations I know and I've worked in have engagement surveys. Could be, you know, they could be like thought surveys four times a year or every two years, essentially asking you, do you have the tools to do your job? Um, You know, if you raised a complaint, would you be listened to? And year after year after year after year after year, We get the same results in most companies and there's some action planning committee that's formed. A bunch of recommendations are made and by then the senior team has moved on to something else. So it's not that we don't know what to do. I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world. Employees will tell you what they need. And most of them are not asking for pinball machines and, you know, free popcorn. Exactly. They want respect. They want interesting work. Yeah. They want to have a say in their conditions of work. Yeah. Once you're providing the thing, it, yeah. it, it's like there's no, again, there's no secret thing in the universe to go find. People will tell you what they need to be happy. And organizations for, I can't, I, I truly don't understand where the disconnect is at times because it's pretty simple to do a lot of these things. Do you think, you know, I, I get the sense that employee engagement is often perceived as a responsibility of the HR department. Oh, yes. And it's not a responsibility that managers are held accountable for. It's Mm -hmm. not something that they're thinking about on a regular basis. Plus this idea of an annual employee engagement survey. So they're basically saying, okay, once a year, we're going to talk about this instead of every month. I'm a big fan of monthly, um, you know, uh, in, in employee engagement results and also linking employee engagement to empl- uh, customer satisfaction engagement so managers can see it on, on their level and be held accountable for it on a regular basis. That's, that's just my perception. And, and again, it's indicative of a siloed organization, right? It's not my response. Anything employee satisfaction is... Um, and then the distinction between hygiene factors and motivators. You, know, you mentioned pay. So first of all, hey, you know, here's a base level. But when we get to motivational factors, this is where appropriate standards and engagement need to happen at the management level, the supervisor level, and something they need to be reminded of on a, on a regular basis. For sure. Well, we could have that discussion all, all day long, but absolutely gotten a little off script. But um, we're, you know, one of the big reasons that we wanted you on the show today um, was to talk about culture washing, which you recently wrote a very interesting article about. Could you tell us a little bit more about what culture washing is and, and possibly why it might, might be relative to managers and uh, customer experience management? World? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll, I'll start by describing a term that m- more people have awareness than culture washing, which is greenwashing. And greenwashing typically happens when a company um, says 
we do all these amazing things for the environment, which perhaps they do, but meanwhile, they're flushing a lot of, you know, toxins into the river that they're not telling you about. Um, right. So it's, it's this, it's greenwashing is a bit of a facade as is culture washing. So culture washing is essentially when an organization tells you how amazing it is and where, you know, join us and you'll get a day to go volunteer somewhere and you'll be able to, you know, have, um, healthcare spending account, get as many massages as you need. We don't have any bookable holiday. You take time off when you need. So you hear all these things, which again are often part of the, the, the uh, recruitment process and you get there and it is anything but. And where we see this the most is when organizations talk about how respect and inclusion and diversity is really important to them. And you just don't see that in the organization. I'm, I'm doing some work right now with a, a, a very large organization and they want to get employee feedback on how they can become a more diverse organization. And so they brought together a group of primarily white leaders to have this conversation. And I know it's well-intentioned, <laughs> but it, it was, they couldn't see the obvious, right? And so when we talk about culture washing, this would be an organization that has a very strong uh, DNI, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity statement on their website and what we believe in. And yet their behavior is not aligned with what they say is important to them. And, you know, th this can happen anything from culturally broader in an organization to an individual leader. A leader might say, I really value open and honest communication. I value uh, being able to receive feedback from my employees. And then the employee, the first time they say, you know, I'd like to give you some feedback on how you treated me in that meeting. And from that point on in, the relationship goes south. So it's very much, it's kind of a walk the talk. And uh, my frustration is if organizations are not going to live by their values, just don't have values. You know, um, and conversely, and I, I'm not sure if you followed this story, it was out about a month ago, an organization called Basecamp. I don't know if you're aware of them. They're kind of a productivity software uh, company. And they had all kinds of perks and benefits. And they had, um, they used Slack as a channel for people to interact uh, online. And they came out, the CEO came out with a very powerful statement saying, you can't talk about politics at work. And uh, we're taking away your perks because we're not parental. We're not here to tell you what you should do and what's going to make you happy. And uh, about a quarter to a third of the employees left within two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, it, you're, what you shared out reminds me of in the customer service, you know, in the CX world, um, it's you never overpromise and underdeliver. You underpromise and overdeliver. How, how is this lost on organizations? You know, the idea of making promises that you can't keep. What, what do they have any expectation of, you know, the, the customer or pardon me, the employee response to it? Well, you know, you, you raise a great question because, you know, I could turn it back to you. You know, when, when organizations are trying to build relationships of loyalty and trust with customers, they're not... They, they don't seem to get how to do that either. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking big blanket statements here. No. Many of them get it right. Yeah. Well, but no, I don't I, think I, enough I, of them. Otherwise, you know, people like me would, would have no work yeah. to do. Right? No, <laughs> um, you know, Bob and I were actually having this discussion before the show um, that really it's kind of indicative of where we are or where we've been in the past with, with advertising that, 
often the advertising department wouldn't talk to the operations department. You know, their focus is going to be on, on impact, right? How do we create more awareness and more brand engagement? And how do we secure customers? Their, their, their concern isn't in keeping customers, they're in getting them in the door. And I'm wondering that maybe this is what's happening as well. Um, but it's with the HR department and more importantly, the recruiting arm of the HR department. What, you know, what are other companies doing out there? What can we say we're doing to get the employees that, that, that they're getting with no consultation with, with management or, or the other arm of the HR department? Are these promises we can keep or what strategies have we devised to actually deliver on this? It's like the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. And with the best intentions, you know, most organizations have very powerful onboarding programs. And I, I worked in a hospital for many years and uh, the physician in chief said, you know, we, we make all these promises and commitments to our new employees in the recruitment process. We put them through an amazing orientation. And then after that, they're basically left to fend for themselves because we haven't done anything about the culture. We spent all of our time making ourselves look good and not enough time being good. Yeah, again, building up expectations, creating a gap between the performance gap between their, their expectations and actual performance. Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why we're still hashing it out because they haven't figured, everybody hasn't really figured this one out. Um, one thing I would just ask for your reaction though, Lisa, is yeah. um, the CEO or the head person uh, really has such an impact on this, don't you think? I mean, people yeah. look at whatever he or she is doing and act accordingly. You know, I, I, I heard this expression years ago, and it, I'll, I'll start by saying the expression, which is negative, and then I'll flip it around. And the expression is the fish rots from the head down, uh, which apparently is actually how fish rot, which I, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know I that no until idea. somebody actually showed me how that happened. But anyway, as an aside, listen, everybody looks to the highest person in the hierarchy to get cues on what's acceptable and what's not acceptable in the workplace. Uh, I, here's a perfect example that example that well, obviously would exemplify what I'm talking about. Uh, an organization I was working with uh, decided that they needed to come up with a new set of values for the future and for the company that they were becoming. And the CEO and the senior team went off and they had a retreat. And then after it, the CEO went and wrote all of the values that this organization was now to have. Um, so I get uh, a draft of the values, and one of them is um, collaboration, and another one is inclusion. Now, how you do anything is how you do everything. How could you say you're an inclusive and collaborative organization if the very way you designed the values was not inclusive and you collaborative? Didn't, you didn't involve your employees in that. Well, exactly. Which, you know, the issue I was going to raise, you know, yeah, the CEO has a role and a responsibility, but it's the strategies and tactics that emanate from that that ultimately determine their success. You know, to your point exactly, he's, he's created this message but it does, you know, do you talk, you walk the walk the same way you talk the talk? And obviously they didn't. Interesting. I want, I want to many change. stories. Yeah. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, yeah please go I'm ahead. I'm sorry. Paul. I want to just touch, touch base because we seems like we always talk about COVID in some form or the other here on this podcast. But now that at least in the U.S., I'm not really sure what's going on in Canada so much, but 
people are starting to be told they're going to be coming back to the office. Mm-hmm. Um, then all of a sudden there's this talk about, well, you know, it kind of worked pretty great with people working from home. They liked it. Maybe we're going to have a hybrid kind of setup. Um, what do you think of the impact on culture uh, and what the implications are of this new sort of take that companies are having? And do you think they're making the right call by setting up hybrid workplaces? Like anything, there are pros and cons, advantages, disadvantages. Where I see the caveats in regards to the return to work. So for companies, and I can't remember if it was Google, someone recently said, everybody's coming back to work. And somebody else said, everyone's coming back to work and it's Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. Um, So there's a couple of risks in this. One, resentful employees. I was able to do my job for 16 months from home. In fact, I was more productive. All I would have needed was a bit of support around X, Y, Z, maybe a more comfortable chair to sit on because I'm in Zoom or you know Google Hangout meetings all day long. Um, but there was no loss of productivity. In fact, there was a gain in productivity for people who do primarily like knowledge workers. So by asking everyone to return to work to say it's about productivity, I don't think is is true. And there's a risk that people will feel that they're being forced back to an environment that doesn't work with their lifestyle or with their preferred ways of working and particularly introverts, frankly, you know, I'm, I consider myself an introvert, I am way more productive when I'm not distracted by an open concept office. So that would be one. The other risk with the hybrid workplace is if you leave it too flexible for people to come and go as they please, or some work 100% away from the office, um, you risk um, diluting or creating two separate cultures because you'll have the culture of people who see each other and are close and are having that bonding over the, you know, their coffees or uh, having lunch together and the ones who are just physically not present. And that could be an issue for leaders. If you find that the, the, your culture is not cohesive, given the fact that there are various, too much flexibility in a hybrid workplace, you, you, know, you risk having people disengage for different reasons. Now, again, I, I think to me, what's important is to, to work with what, what are your goals as an organization? What are you trying to create? And how are you gonna keep your employees happy in helping you achieve those goals? And if you're prepared to take some risks around culture, you might in fact strengthen your culture by meeting people's needs and, uh, and delivering what, what's gonna make them happy and productive in service of your strategy and your goal as a company. Yeah, that's what I was gonna bring up. I, I think some companies, by the way they responded to this, they really helped to illustrate to their employees what their culture was all about, their level of empathy and support. Um, in terms of, you know, making them comfortable um, in their homes and doing work, whether it's how much they, they gave them for um, a home office, um, helping them to deal with childcare, helping, you know, I think, you know, when you talk about trust and empathy, and I think for some companies, they probably not intentionally, um, you know, it was just intuitive to them, and it really reflected their culture in an honest way. Um, and but then there are other companies that really um, it helped to illustrate how far apart they were in terms of what they promised and and the culture they actually have by failing to respond to that opportunity. Am I right? 
Absolutely. And you're reminding me of a company I was in discussion with. We were trying to figure out if the services that I offered would meet what they were looking for. And they came to me with the problem saying, you know, we just don't know how productive our employees are now that they're working from home. And so, um, you know, how, how are we going to make sure that we, we know people are working? And I, my question is, well, how did you know that they were working before? Exactly. How did you know? <laughs> yeah. Just because they're like, if you don't right have a way of figuring that out, computer screen, how did exactly. you know they were productive when they're in their workplace and not um, uh, uh, updating their Facebook page half the, the time? Exactly. Working. You can look extremely busy doing something that has nothing to do with your job. If yeah, you're you want to talk about trust, screen. right? You really exactly. want to talk about trust. So, so you're basically saying, unless I can actually stand here and monitor what they're doing, um, I can't gauge their, their productivity. Well, or may, yeah, to your point, well, how do you define productivity in your organization? That would be interesting to see, um, but yeah, fascinating. Well, well and I just want to pick up on yeah, one brief yeah. thing that oh, you yeah, said, you do, know, please do. can you, can you, you know, when you talked about silos, mm -hmm. you know, maybe an, uh, uh, an outcome and, in addition to productivity is how strong are our relationships? Like, are we breaking down silos? Because again, if you're looking towards the goals that you want to achieve as an organization, not everything is output, right? Not everything is a, you know, some things you're, you're seeking some outcomes that are going to help support the outputs that you want. So maybe you're less productive in terms of, you know, what you're creating, but if you're counting that what you're creating is also cohesion and collaboration yeah, and exactly. innovation, Exactly. You know, there it's it's kind of like a balanced scorecard approach. Yeah. To well, how, do, how, do, you, how do you define, you know, or how does an organization define engagement? And, you know, there are different definitions out there. Um, one of my more favorite one comes from the, the Ipsos um, employee engagement model. And there are three dimensions to it. One is to your job. One is to your, to the organization. I think the other is to leadership or the people that, so you know, I think that's important to understand too is, is engagement um, reflects different domains. So employees can be engaged in different levels. So if, if you're demonstrating, for example, uh, a clear mission and vision for your organization through this, and there's a, um, a more tight knit relationship between the supervisors and the employees because they're reaching out to employees and they're listening, um, those, those are measurable outcomes that are a positive benefit to, to the organization as well. So absolutely. Well, let me flip the script here a little bit. We've talked a lot about what organizations can do. Now let's talk about um, a lot of people are out on the job market right now um, and going through the recruiting process. Uh, what can people do during the interview process to better understand what a company's culture actually is not not the not what the the brochure says but get an actual assessment of what the culture is yeah so there's a there's a bit of buyer beware here right you need to do your research um that would be my first thing and and what i mean by do your research if it, classic recruitment processes are not like uh, typical dating, although I'm, you know, maybe I'm aging myself in saying this, but, you know, for me, a dating process lasted a period of time before, you know, the ring was put on the finger. Recruitment, on the other hand, is I'm going to read your resume. I'm going to make some probably uh, unconscious decisions about whether or not I'm going to bring you in for an interview. And then after a couple of interviews, we're going to make a decision about 
you know, a pretty important financial decision on both parties. So we sounds do like this speed. very- Sounds like speed dating. Totally, totally. Um, and so it happens a lot faster. You, you, don't, you don't have time to like, you know, it's not like you're, you're dating and you're meeting the person's family and, you know, are they part of the mafia? Do you know? <laughs> like you, you get a feel over, you know, when you're making an important life decision. Well, a job is an important life decision as well. So you need to get some data. And it's not always easy to get, but I do believe there's a couple of things that people can do that, that will assist with that. So first of all, um, really trust your gut when you're meeting people in the organization. Like we have pretty good, you know, sort of internal meters around what feels good. So that's a powerful, like don't, you know, not to be discounted, but back it up with actual data. Um, there are a couple of websites I know of, uh, there's Glassdoor, there's Indeed, where people can, similar to reviewing a restaurant, people can review uh, companies that they've worked, that they're working in or worked for. Where I would pay particular attention is, are the reviews all over the map? Are they inconsistent? Particularly, are there a bunch of negative reviews and all of a sudden a bunch of really positive reviews? Because that tells me that the culture is not a particularly good one and people have either been asked or management has gone in to write a bunch of lovely things after seeing all the negative comments because nothing can be taken down from, um, from these sites. And the other thing is if you're seeing comments like um, management doesn't listen to or act on employee feedback, or if you speak your mind, you'll be walked out the door. If you see some consistency around these online comments, that would be one way to get a general sense. It's imperfect. Really the way to understand a culture you're walking into is to talk to as many people as you can in the interview process. And I think many people forget like they're interviewing you to see if you're a fit, but you're also interviewing them to see if they're a fit. And to me, a good interview process is a, is a, a conversation. It's not answer a bunch of questions to tell us that you actually have these qualifications. There has to be more to it than that. And if you feel that you've, let's say you're invited for an hour and you're given two minutes at the end, do you have any questions for us? That might tell you a lot about the culture that you're walking into. Uh, and I guess I would just add on that around, we talked earlier about values. There are many organizations that have their values essentially as works of art on the wall, but they're not actually lived in the process. So I would say also in any engagement or relationship as you're building a, a relationship, whether it's the recruiter or with the people who are interviewing you, assess their behavior against what they say their values are. And if there's a lack of cohesion or consistency between the, the, the two, that would also be a red flag for me. Well, this has been really informative, Lisa. Um, I think we have, we need to have a couple follow-up interviews on more focused <laughs> subjects. Because I, know, I know, clearly we all interest. love this topic. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 I, I really do. You know, I'd love to have a just a single discussion about creating a customer-centric culture in an organization or developing effective and reliable recruiting strategies and, and whatnot. So we'll definitely have to have you uh, back on the show, but thanks again for being here today. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was such, it was, you know, the questions that you gave me were, were great questions because they really get at what it is we're all trying to work on.
right? Yeah, We're all trying yeah. to make things better for our employees, for our customers. We, we want a world that feels friendly and of service. And then this is how we're going to get there by having these kinds of conversations. Absolutely. So I'm very grateful that you invited me. Well, thanks again. And listeners, thanks for joining us again for the Tom and Bob show. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tom and Bob show. If you enjoyed the podcast, Please tell your friends and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcasts, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. After all, you're our customer. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.